Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and co-founder of Think Now. Today, our guest is Barney Santos, founder of Hentify, fellow Trojan. Barney, please introduce yourself and tell us about um, Hentify and the idea behind it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mario. Um, so Hentify is, is you know, for the lack of, of a better word, it's sort of an economic development company. You know, we are a, a for-profit or a social uh, enterprise. You know, what we're really trying to do is, you know, really kind of, you know, infuse capital into Latino communities to really spur economic activity and entrepreneurial activity uh, to help uplift the communities that we live in. Uh, you know, in a responsible way. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, the, the big crux of what we're trying to do. And our first project that we're working on right now in the city of Montebello is a development called Boulevard Market, which is a Main Street business incubator uh, for food specifically uh, that we're building inside of a food hall. Uh, and so, you know, we spent several years kind of getting to this point, building that out, public forming a public-private partnership with the city of Montebello, acquiring a piece of property, raising capital. You know, we're right now right in the middle of construction of it. So uh, that's been kind of our main focus for the last several years and getting this thing up and running for this year. That's awesome. And, you know, that's main reason I wanted to have you on is um, you have, I mean, and you also, you have a background, an entrepreneurial background. Um, you're head of entrepreneurship and innovation at Cal State LA and a lot of our listeners are more on the marketing consumer insight side, but I wanted to have you on to talk about the restaurant industry, right? With your initiative in Boulevard Market, obviously no one saw this coming. Like you said, you've been um, working at this for the past several years. So let's, let's get the bad news out of the way first so we can move on talking to the future. I mean, I mean, without pointing out the obvious, I mean, how is this hurting um, the initiative, or not hurting the initiative, but what do you see the effect on small business owners, specifically in the restaurant industry, um, during this pandemic? That's a great question. I mean, you know, across the board, it's not just restaurants, right? There's a lot of industries that are sort of going to be impacted by this. Uh, generally speaking, you know, I, you know, I also feel for like a lot of non-essential businesses that are basically shut down right now, and so. Food is one of the most visible ones because I think a lot of people just, you know, interacted with them on a day-to-day basis and, and they see the impact because they employ probably the largest amount of, of people across the board. And so, um, you know, in the short term, obviously, there's a lot of issues. Uh, I, what I've been focusing on is kind of, you know, because I also consult with the Small Business Development Center in the, on a, as a person. And so I meet with a lot of small business owners, um, restaurants, food, you know, a lot of other different industries. And so I'm getting a, 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 I'm literally having like five or six conversations every single day with different people about what's happening, what they're seeing. And so I'm getting a lot of really broad scope of, of problems across the board. And then personally, I'm trying to see what are the macro implications of this, uh, you know, consumer behavior pattern changes. Uh, what are the things that we can expect and, you know, when can we get out of this? And so you know, there isn't a definitive answer about when, when will this sort of shift, but I will say, you know, what I'm seeing is, is, uh, you know, different people reporting again, it's all sort of guessing at this point or the, the strength of their modeling, but you know, the, this, this self, 
this social distancing is lasting, you know, into the second quarter. The recession is going to last into the end of the second quarter. Third quarter, it'll be lifted. Uh, we'll start to see, you know, the, the, the economy doing a little bit better, uh, people going back out. But, you know, we're going to feel the, you know, the the impact of a lot of people being still unemployed and uh, furloughed and just getting back into the workforce. And so uh, there's going to be a there's going to be a little bit of time. I think that's what the third, third quarter is all about is just kind of get building back up. And then we'll start seeing the, the you know, positive impacts on the, on the fourth quarter, you know, in relation to the markets and things looking better and the economy getting better. And so that's what I've been kind of like talking to a lot of business owners and restaurants, you know. Because yeah, how, how do you how do you see? I mean, it's cool you're having these conversations because you're you're on the ground and you're getting insight into how consumer behavior ch- is changing. I mean, obviously, now we're all forced to order online, delivery, pickup. I mean, what how how are restaurants that aren't necessarily equipped to shift? How are they shifting? And what are maybe some other things that restaurants are doing to kind of you know, to, to live in this, uh, new normal, this, this overused term, but to live in this new normal, I mean, what do you, what are some successful things that, that, uh, businesses are doing specifically in the restaurant industry to kind of adapt to these new consumer behaviors? Yeah. You know, right now there's, there's two prongs of, of, of approach right now. There's obviously there's one, uh, state of people that are just shutting down, right. They're just, They've they said, look, it doesn't make sense for us to keep the doors open because the cost of overhead is too high, um, and so they just shut down completely. And then there's another group that they're surviving and they're trying to make it work. And what I I've seen a lot of ingenuity coming from restaurants. You know, they're looking at their business model as a whole and saying, well, what you know, as most innovate innovation processes start with, and the strategy behind innovation is always like, well, what do I have, and what are my means, and what can I do with these things, and so. A lot of restaurants are realizing, well, I have space, I have raw ingredients, you know, I do have a customer base. And so they're trying to look at different ways to provide value. And so some, I've seen some people, obviously, pickup is a big one. Delivery is another big one, you know, where they're, they're offering limited menu, but, uh, but focusing on how they deliver it and how they pick it up. And so their process has been uh, changing in that way. I've seen uh, meal kits, right? A lot of people are doing meal kits and that started, I think the first person I saw or the first company I saw do that was Norm's where they just said, you know, we have all this, uh, you know, raw goods and materials, like let's just sell it at cost. And so they started selling their eggs, uh, bundled with like their hash browns, bundled with, you know, you know, pancake mix and all kinds of different things and a toilet paper for like $35, which is that, like that's cool. I, I hadn't seen that. That's a great idea. The yeah, meal well, they're, kits. they're, I mean, they're, I think they're doing it for a different reason. I think they're looking at it from their balance sheet perspective, you know? And so like they're trying to avoid additional losses, but, but I think restaurants from at, at small business level can probably do the same idea and, and probably add, and, and I mean, I'm, they are right. So I've seen different food companies do that. And they're and they're adding uh, a premium on top of it. So like I've seen companies uh, like a birria company, a taco company, do it here, and they were charging seventy five bucks for like a, a meal kit that feeds you a family of ten, you know, with uh, with with food and, and, and tortillas and you know all, all the ingredients chopped up, the, uh, you know, the, the onions and the cilantro, all that stuff. So they do that, and you can prepare it at home. And so I've seen people do that. I've seen people do uh, bundled packages where they're partnering with other vendors. And so I, I set up a partnership with a local brewery and some two, two food vendors that I work with, Cafe Santo and 
Los Taquero Mucho, and we're doing pop-ups out of his brewery. And so, you know, we're creating this this cumulative attraction type of environment where, where the, the, the value that people would get from pickup and delivery is enhanced because you've created like a destination location that is for pickup and delivery. And so they've been doing well. They've been, you know, the taco place has been selling, you know, over $600 a day when they set up, um, which in, in today's day and age is crazy because it's like, I, I never expected them to hit those numbers because it's just, you know, people sales are so down. Uh, and then, and, uh, the guy who owns the brewery, he's been telling me he's been seeing 17% week over week sales because of the strategy. So, you know, it's been helping, it's been helping people, uh, you know, little things like that. And so, uh, you know, I've seen different things people do. Di- the, the, the main important thing is just to think about your goods and think about your, your the value you provide and how do you repackage it to provide new value to customers in this time? Cause you know, the, the, the behavior patterns are changing. <clears throat> people are cooking home. I, th- I read statistics showing that, you know, 80% of people are, are cooking at home now. And so, you know, that's what happens when you stockpile groceries, you know? Right. So more people are cooking, uh, you know, you're, and, and it's reflected in the, in the delivery numbers. Not, not enough people are ordering out yet because A, they have too much food at home, but then B, there's also a sense of fear, a little bit of fear in, on their part where they're not, they don't think that the food being cooked is prepared safely. And so, you know, business owners need to do more to communicate to their, to their, customers that like, Hey, look, we, not only are we open for business, but we're taking every step and precaution to make sure that your food is being delivered, cooked and delivered safely. So. And I'm sure there's also obviously an economic effect happening there, right? Like people just cooking from home because they're trying to save money. Yeah. I mean, I I don't, I don't necessarily believe that's the main case. I, I think that is a factor for some people, but you know, there is a lot of people who are, um, you know, working from home to be honest. And so you have 10% of America, which is unemployed right now. So, you know, one out of 10 people. So I think one, one out of 10 people uh, for sure is being impacted financially. <clears throat> Maybe another a group of people that are underemployed is impacted. But I think the majority of people are still uh, have the economic means to order delivery. I think a lot of people are just operating from a fear, from fear perspective uh, because of, you know, media and and what they're seeing on TV and what they're seeing in the news. So I think it's, I think it's also that as well. Yeah. So so you pointed out two interesting behavior shifts, right? One, this increased scrutiny on food quality, how it's prepared and two consumers cooking at home more Um, thinking kind of beyond this. Once things are, are lifted now, this is this is in flux too, right? Because from what I'm seeing, it, it you know this is it, it's not going to be lifted overnight. It's going to be certain businesses open and certain parts of the country, um, you know. But let's assume post post quarantine, post safer at home initiatives. I think there's going to be pent up demand to get out and go to a restaurant, right? Of course. Um, but do you see these things like cooking at home? Increased scrutiny on on food preparation. Do you th- do you see these behaviors kind of lasting beyond this this pandemic? I mean, do you see yeah. this changing? Do you see this changing consumer behavior in the long run? Yeah, I mean, I, I think those are all real solid questions to start asking. And I, you know, I'm 
that I'm constantly thinking about what does post COVID look like that my, a lot of people are focused on right now. And I get that. I, I think what worries me is post <clears throat> as the economy gets better. And so you, you got to think, right? Like it takes a month for, for a new habit to really kind of take hold in your mind. Right. And so yep. what happens when you have two or three months of continual habit training and formation, what does that do to the long-term, your long-term patterns? And so, Yes, uh, I think that there is going to be, you know, when when the when the social distancing orders, stay at home orders are lifted, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to rush to go try their favorite restaurants. <clears throat> a couple things are going to happen there. One, a lot of their restaurants are going to be closed still because uh, you know a lot of people shut their doors down, uh, and so people couldn't meet payroll or couldn't couldn't qualify for financing. Or maybe they pay, meet, met their payroll, but don't have enough money to buy their raw goods and start up again. <clears throat> so the amount of restaurants that will be open will be limited compared to before. And then secondly, the thing that I'm most concerned about too is, you know, even though, uh, so two things are going to happen, right? One, you got to imagine we're in a recession. And so what history has told us is that a lot of times coming out of recession, people are a lot more like, you know, uh, careful with how they spend their money, their their uh, their beliefs in the economy are, are not as strong, and so I think there's going to be a lot of people just kind of not sure about maybe they should be saving, maybe they shouldn't be spending that much. And then the other part of it is, you know, I think people are going to be still social distancing in their mind, and I think that is going to be the big the biggest um, disruptor going forward, which is what's the curve like for people to start shortening that social distancing in, in their own minds. You know, what does, when does it, is it look okay from six feet to five feet to four feet to three feet to, to back to normal? How long will that take in people's minds? Because, you know, before you, you think about it, like people used to love, you know, especially millennials, they love communal dining. They loved being in, in packed and crowded environments. They loved, you know, like, uh, adventure, they love experience and they value creativity and all that stuff and, and just being in that environment. But post COVID, you know, what happens there? Do we still value uh, communal dining? Is that something we want? Because are we now looking at our neighbor who's sitting two feet away from us and wondering, you know, why are they so close? Um, what, what, I mean, so I, I'm curious. I mean, what's your opinion there? I, I have an opinion on that. Yeah. What, what, yeah. what, what, what what's your opinion? I think I think that there's going to be a, 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 it's going to be phased. I think there's going to be a percentage of people who are going to you know like to your point rush off to the restaurants. I, it's hard for me to guess what percentage that is, but if, but there's a lot of people who are still going to be like I'm going to stick to you know delivery or I'm going to do pickup still for a while. And so you know look at the adoption rates in China you know, post, post COVID, you know, in China, they, they've seen the increases in, you know, delivery and, and pickup. And I think Starbucks was the one that I was paying attention to where, you know, before COVID, it was like a 15% adoption post COVID is 18% of their sales are coming from online. So, you know, there's, there's patterns that will shift. Uh, I think it's going to take until the fourth quarter for people to start, you know, mentally letting go of those roadblocks in their mind about social distancing. And I think they're going to go out, they're going to start spending. And I think the, the if we're sticking to food here, I think the, 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 the industries that are, I mean, the categories of food that are going to be best suited to bounce back are going to be A, the ones that stayed open and are, you know, like pushing through right now. 
But then B, most importantly, I think from a category perspective, I think quick service restaurants, I think uh, limited service restaurants, casual, uh, casual, uh, fast casual. Fast casual, yeah. Uh, and then uh, lastly, I think the ones that will bounce back a little bit later will be full service restaurants. But I think ultimately Q4 is what I expect. And I just think consumer patterns are going to change a little bit in that regard. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I mean, I think... Um... I mean, me personally, like, I, I don't know when or if I'll feel comfortable communal dining because I, I, we actually went out, my wife and I, for ramen maybe like a week before or no, like two weeks before stay at home. Um, and it just felt weird, you know, like people waiting in line with masks on and it's just... I don't know though that uneasiness. I mean, I'm hoping hoping it goes away, but um, thinking immediately after this is lifted, I think re- restaurants are like full service restaurants. I'm thinking of specifically. T- people are going to have to sit differently, right? Like for yeah. sure. Like because I because I'm thinking of like I, I was I was listening to NPR this morning, and you know WeWork is going to open up with spaces in between every desk, right? I mean. Yeah. That's what's going to happen for full service restaurants, right? In the immediate future. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty strong indicator. Uh, you know, I've been we talked about this with a buddy of mine. I think in restaurants you're going to see sort of a phase in of like their existing seating, right? So, like to your point, where a, a, a restaurant might have had a hundred seats available, maybe post COVID, like in the immediate months, they might only make available fifty. Right. And then slowly phase in the rest of them as people as people release the social distancing bondage from their own minds. Um, And I think eventually it'll go back to that place where people feel comfortable. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be forever, but I will know that expectations are different. So, like, one thing for sure I know is that people are going to expect their restaurants to be cleaner, you know? Uh, Yeah. I think, you know, what you're going to see is you're going to see restaurants immediately after somebody gets up and walks away after their, their, their dinner or their lunch, a restaurant's just going to go double down and spray the whole table with disinfectant or clean it and, you know, making sure that everything is clean. You know, I think, I think a lot of consumers are going to walk into a restaurant in their lobby, into their dining area, and they're going to start paying attention to all the little details in the corners, the, the nooks, how clean is it, you know, how sanitary to things. I mean, I think the, the, the level of scrutiny for cleanliness is going to increase dramatically also, because I just think now we're hyper aware of those things. So, you know, I think that's going to be a shift also in the way restaurants, just gonna, restaurants and owners are just going to have to just navigate differently I think, going forward. I don't know how long it'll take, right? Because I know there's going to be a buffer. So it, it might go back down to normal. I'm thinking it's going to take like three, four months, uh, you know, before people start releasing themselves from again that 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 internal mindset of the social distancing so what well, one of the things i've been seeing like is um i feel like this isn't necessarily creating any new trends although there might be but i feel like it's just pushing us towards trends that were already happening yeah right so streaming for example right i mean and and i mean and the, and the uh, Another way to look at it is like we're in the best time to be living through a pandemic and I'm not trying to make light of it. I mean, it's it's a horrible thing that's happening, but like I feel grateful that we have things that we have like 
streaming, Netflix, internet, food delivery, right? Um, Amazon being able to shop from home. But like, I feel like it's just pushing everything, making trends adopt faster than it normally would, right? Um, and some things for the better. Do, do you see the opportunity for new business models? Like, for example, just restaurants that are only delivery. Do you see things like that coming out of this? Like yeah. a, a kind of a reimagined restaurant experience? Yeah. So, you know, to your, so to your point, to original point, I, I think you're right. I think if there is ever a time to be in a pandemic, which obviously that you never want that to happen, I think now is the time. And so like, I think it's now is the time where you're like, okay, thankfully we have the technology that you know, enables businesses to kind of, the convenience can be, you know, direct to your house. You don't have to, you can operate in a different way. This was 1900s and the influenza pandemic that happened then. Can you imagine we, no social media, no means of communication, no delivery, like <laughs> just different. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Worse, massively worse. And so, um, so yes, I, I think you're right on that. I think to the other point, you're right. I, I think there was already a trend pattern happening with technology adoption and, and influencing industries. I think small business owners and in general, the industry as a whole, different components are slow sometimes to adopt, uh, uh, adopt technology and enable their businesses through technology. And I think, you know, some areas like China and Japan and other communities actually worry more tech, tech focused. You've seen that adoption happen in immensely faster, which is the reason why you see Starbucks go from 15% to 80% post. It was, a, it was bound to happen anyways. They're, they're just leading technology adopters. And so I think for us, you know, that'll, <clears throat> that'll infuse in every industry. Uh, a lot of business owners will say, well, damn, uh, you know, I've been putting the, the, the conversation I'm constantly having with business owners is this has been on my shelf for a while. I've been thinking about doing this anyway. I now have to do it now. And so yep. that's the conversation I'm having every day. I, I've literally had that with you name the type of industry and I'll, every single industry has said the same thing. Even grocery, local grocery stores have said that. Local grocers are like, I need to, I'm, I'm no longer thinking about extending my storefront to other storefronts. I'm thinking about taking my storefront virtual. And that's, that's the next wave. And so you think about the same thing happened with social media, like, you know, like 10 years ago, or maybe less, um, you know, social media made a huge impact in the world. Young people were adopting it like crazy and small businesses were slow to adopt. They were just like, and it's social media. It doesn't make sense. I don't need it for my business. But eventually they caught on and eventually it helped them. And eventually they saw the value. And now every it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a standard. If you don't have social media, like what are you doing? Right. It's like almost like a duh. Same thing. Yeah. Will, same thing will happen with a lot of these new technologies like delivery, pickup. And to your point, the, the far extreme on that spectrum is ghost restaurants. And so when, back in 2000, I think it was 2000. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't even know there was a term for that. Yeah. So back in 2000, uh, I want to say 2014, uh, 15 around there, I was maybe, no, actually it's probably later than that. Uh, when I was at Unilever, I used to work at a company called Unilever and I was on their new business models team, uh, you know, running the exponential exper experiential technology stuff. And the one thing we were paying attention to what was happening out of New York was this rise of these ghost restaurants, these dark restaurants that were basically restaurants that existed with no storefront. They were just a kitchen in a commissary uh, that basically all they did was pick up a delivery, uh, mostly delivery, focused on delivery. And so, you know, it was a huge, huge 
huge thing that was being born out of it. The fact there were funds that were specifically funding those things. Uh, David uh, David Chang was one of the first early adopters in that in the restaurant industry with the Mamafuku uh, brand and restaurant. But what they realized was that you know you could if you had a thousand square foot kitchen, you can operate like three restaurants out of there. And if wow. one of those, if one of those restaurants failed, nobody bought anything. The cost to replace that restaurant was fractional compared to if you had a storefront, shut it down, and open up. Wait, it, it, but explain to me. You can operate three restaurants. I I, I don't know, like virtual restaurants. Like, yeah. are, are you like yeah. think about it, right? So, like, if you're uh, if you're operating in this in this one thousand square foot kitchen, your storefront isn't the store itself. The storefront is virtual. So. You can have three different brands online existing, all offering. Oh, okay, brands. Got it. Got it. All offering different menus, different items, and maybe they all share the same uh, proteins, right? Maybe they all share the same produce. They just all efficiently run uh, on the back of house. They run the same, but on the front, where the you know the visual to the, to the consumer, they're all living online, and so the major you know, cost of that is the delivery cost. Uh, and so you know, that happened in New York and then slowly started spreading over time. And now it's, it's becoming more mainstream. And, uh, you know, you have places like sugar, I think it's Sugarfish, I think in Santa Monica, they yeah. have, they have different, they have several uh, ghost kitchens in, in this, in, the, in Santa Monica area. So I think you're going to see more of that. In fact, Travis, the, the Travis, the old CEO of Uber, you know, when he got ousted from, from uh, Uber, the first thing he did was he doubled down and he bought into a company called uh, Cloud Kitchens. And so he set up shop in Los Angeles and that's what he's focusing on. He's building the infrastructure for Cloud Kitchens. In fact, he, he before COVID happened, I got my health, when I got my health permit, they were telling me that he was building this huge, you know, uh, I think it was like 20,000 square foot or something like that kitchen, a uh, virtual kitchen. So, And, know, and people, it makes sense, right? Because we're, we're like for food, I mean, I would say number one for me when I'm, I'm going to make a decision is social media. I'm not, you know, I'm not judging you by what the restaurant looks like. It's like, this looks good. I want to go try it, you know? So if it's completely virtual, um, I don't know. I, I, I Right now, it just seems ripe to start something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it, we're weird creatures, right? Like I've noticed this pattern too. Like how many times have you walked by a storefront and said, not walked inside, not looked in the food, just walked by and said, oh, that place looks good, right? Like uh, right. that happens all the time. And so like when you go on social media, same thing, that place looks good. It's, it's our eyes are what attract us to these things. And so when you, if you optimize the photos and sell and your brand is solid online, your food looks solid online, well then who cares if there's a storefront or not? There's a, there's a group of people who, who, just want to eat and they'll do it out of convenience. Typically those are, you know, uh, millennials because they've been, uh, you know, or Gen Zers, uh, the trends have been going higher and higher for them, uh, because they're mobile first. And so they just, you know, they, they value things of convenience and, you know, value that primarily. So I think you're going to see that increase even more and adoption is going to increase. So I, I think people like Travis are just going to kill it in the future. The question is, is how does the average mom and pop, how does the average small business adopt those things and do similar, similar models? Um, you know, and so I think that's that's the next step too. And how do food trucks? I, I, food trucks are even doing that now. If a food truck has got to set up shop with somebody, 
if they could just promise that they'll be somewhere all day, um, maybe for two days in a row, you know, uh, Uber Eats and like Grubhub, they'll start deli- they'll do some delivery for them also. So yeah, I've been seeing. I mean, I've been I ordered some some of my you know from um, some of my favorite food trucks recently um, during this, which was which was cool, you know. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be the biggest shift. To, you know, I think the last ten years. You've had a disruption in a lot of different industries, technology disrupted things. I think going forward this next decade, what you're going to see is a disruption in social social norms, right? Like I think the, the, the societal sort of things that we've said, oh, this is what is, this is social constructs. That's what's going to be disrupted. And I think what's happening right now is a perfect example of what's happening. Um, you know, people are just saying, well, I don't have to do this. And, you know, what I, you know, I don't necessarily have to go do it here and eat this way and buy here. And they're just, they're asking themselves questions about what needs to be done and what doesn't even government. I've seen government is adopting things too, uh, in a different way, going digital, doing things completely different. So I think this is forcing everybody to change their behaviors. And that's a that's a great quote to stop at. I mean, I'm feeling I'm feeling better talking out the future. So thanks for thanks for coming on. If people want to uh, find you online, what's the what's the best social media platform to reach you at? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much uh, my name Barney Santos. So at Barney Santos, B A R N E Y S A N T O S. You can find me on Twitter, on uh, Instagram mostly, uh, mostly Instagram and Twitter, I should say. And even on uh, LinkedIn, I think it's still Barney Santos also. So across the board, you can find Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks to everyone listening in. To get more multicultural insights, check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. To email him, reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com.